Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Rev. Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, in the Old Testament section of our Red Bibles, beginning on page 708. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Heavenly Father, Send your Holy Spirit into our hearts, that your word may direct and rule us according to your will, that it may comfort us in our afflictions, that it may defend us from all error and lead us into all truth. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks. Foreigners shall till your land and dress your vines. But you shall be called priests of the Lord. You shall be named ministers of our God. You shall enjoy the wealth of the nations, and in their riches you shall glory. Because their shame was double and dishonor was proclaimed as their lot, therefore they shall possess a double portion. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants shall be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge that they are a people whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God. For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, 
so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I think on this World Communion Sunday, it is so appropriate that as part of our fall series, and if some of you are here for the first time, we've been working our way through a very important series here at the church that we're calling Rooted and Reaching. And I'll tell you more about that in a minute. But I can't think of a better passage of Scripture that will help us to go deep into what this theme means for our church. And here's what I want to do. I know that, uh, I know on Sundays we, we're a little bit hungry, and I know there's a wonderful, wonderful dinner, lunch, that's been prepared by all of you. Many of you brought foods representing the different parts of the world, and I hope you'll join us. Uh, we brought some Jamaican jerk chicken and some other goodies. So come on up and try that. But if you can just stay with me, I know the food's there, but just stay with me. <laughs> and I want to convince you of one, one central truth. And it's simply this, that you are, you are an asset. And I had to convince some people in the first service that I do know how to spell. I did go to school, and I know that the correct way to write the word asset, it's A-S-S-E-T. The word has two S's, and I have one in there. And I just want you to stay with me. Um, I, I want to convince you of something that hopefully will bless your heart this morning. So the passage that we just read, if you think about it, it it's really going in two directions. And let me tell you what I mean. First of all, I think that passage from the standpoint of the people who would have heard that prophetic word or read it, that it's going in one direction. It's looking ahead, but it's also looking back. It's looking ahead because the people who would have heard it, they were looking for this anointed messenger, this servant of the Lord, who would come one day and minister and help restore and help build up what was broken I mean, the promise of this passage is that this anointed one will come and he will transform this broken world. Every home, think about that. Every home, every person, every culture broken by human fallenness will one day be restored. And so from the vantage point of the people hearing this prophecy or reading the, this prophetic word, you can see them looking around. And all they see are ruins, and what I mean by this is these people who are hearing this message are exiles. They're coming back from 70 years of captivity in Babylon. And they're coming back to the land. And they're coming back to everything that is so ruined. They see the temple, the once glorious temple of Solomon. It's broken down. The walls to the city of Jerusalem, they're broken down. The homes that they left have been repossessed or some of them are broken down. Lives have been ruined. The government is broken. The, the agriculture, the land is barren. The economy is broken. And they're hearing this prophecy and they're saying, okay, where is the hope? And in fact, when you read these words, it is a call for them to live in hope. It's a word of comfort that God is on the move, that the Messiah is coming passage is looking ahead, but it's also looking back. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. The words of the prophet Isaiah, they were fulfilled. The servant, of, the servant of the Lord did come, and I was reading again in Luke chapter 4 and verse 16, how Jesus goes to Nazareth. This is the town where Jesus was brought up, 
and he enters the synagogue in Nazareth on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. And when he walked in, they handed him the scroll. And Jesus selected the very words that you just read. What was Jesus doing? Jesus wasn't looking ahead. Jesus was looking back as he read Isaiah 61. And he used these words to launch his public ministry. He used these words to describe his mission. He used these words to identify himself as the Messiah of God. And so when the congregation heard Jesus say, Jesus said this after he read it, he said, these words are fulfilled in your, in your hearing. The people went from amazement to unbelief and then rage and then rejection. And they were basically saying, who do you think you are? And they dragged him from the synagogue and they tried to hurl him off a cliff, the reading in Luke says. When these people heard the words, the people of Jesus' day, they were still experiencing brokenness, broken systems. They were still under the oppression and the injustice from the Romans. They were looking for a Messiah. And when Jesus said, today these words are fulfilled in your hearing, they looked at him and said, hold on a minute. Isn't that Joseph's son, the carpenter? And they said, look, there's no carpenter that's going to deliver us. We're looking for an anointed Messiah. Here's the thing, though. I was reading again from... 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 20, where the Apostle Paul says, the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It's living by God's power. And I thought to myself, if only, if only, if only Jesus had just read the words, gave a nice sermon, ended the service on time so that people could go have their lunch and then watch the Chicago Bears beat the Oakland Raiders, if only he had just said those wonderful words and, you know, at the end of the service, everybody would have been walking out and said, Jesus, that was so, so lovely. But Jesus said, no, I'm, I'm not into just speaking words. I am the fulfillment of those words. Those words are going to be acted out through me. Those words are going to be incarnated in me and through me. I am actually the answer to all the problems that you guys are going through. And of course, they still didn't believe him, and they rejected him. But the beautiful thing about Jesus is that he wasn't daunted at all by the attitude and the rejection of these people. You flip the page over to Luke chapter 5. Jesus leaves the synagogue. He goes to the Sea of Galilee, and he finds a fisherman by the name of Peter, and he calls Peter. And when he calls Peter, he doesn't say to Peter, Peter, I want you to come and help me speak all these words. I want you to come be a talker. No. He says, I want you to come follow me, Peter. Because, yes, you were fishing for fish. Now I want you to be fishing for people. Jesus really said to Peter, come on, Peter. Let's do ministry together. Let's start fixing broken people. And here we are now, over 2,000 years later, more than 2,000 years later, and we're here in this church, and we're looking back at Jesus' words, and then we're looking even beyond Jesus, and we're looking to the words of the prophet Isaiah, and we all agree. We all agree. Before the service is over, we're all going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he's God's answer who has come to restore the world back to God. But there is a sense in which that is just talk for many of us. It's the stuff we've believed from Sunday school, and we, we say it, but whether or not we believe it, that is the question. Just like the people of Isaiah's day, 
in Jesus' day, we're looking around too. We're looking around at Evanston and Chicago, and we're looking at America and the world. As Anna so very eloquently told us, you look at all these flags, and they represent countries of the world where there is brokenness, where there is trouble, where churches are broken. Relationships among Christians, I, I hate saying this, guys, but among Christians, relationships are so fractured that in the church, we don't even talk to each other. People's lives broken by all kinds of addictions, broken governments, broken promises. People are hungry and they're poor and they're naked. People are in need. Violence fill our streets. And we say, well, yeah, we believe Jesus has come. And we wonder, why isn't my neighborhood changing? Why isn't my family changing? Why is my life not being changed? And I just want you to know this is where you come in. Because I don't think the anointing that was upon Jesus stopped with Jesus. And that's why I want to say it again, my brothers and sisters. You are an asset that Jesus comes in the power of the Holy Spirit, after his resurrection, he breathes upon the disciples and he says, I want you to receive the Holy Spirit. He said, I want you to wait in Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit is coming. He's going to fall upon you. He's going to anoint you. And then I want you to go into the world and fix what is broken in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the world. He's not calling us just to talk. He's not calling us just to do another class. He's calling us to live by the power of God so that the works of God might be seen through us. And the question is, how do we do that? How do we join in Jesus' kingdom work? And it's by embracing this simple truth. I am an asset. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Number one, I am an anointed minister of God. Notice it says in Isaiah 61 and verse 6 that you shall be called ministers of God. And I looked again at the Hebrew word, and I looked at the Greek word for the word ministry or minister, and it simply means to serve. That's what it means, guys. It means to serve. And so a minister is not a pastor. A minister is not a seminary-trained person. A minister is a servant. Are you with me? Because you can have pastors and you can have seminary trained people who are not ministers. And I know this sounds, it sounds horrendous to say that, but I have to tell you, there are people who have all the training and they're not ministers because they're busy serving themselves. To minister is to serve others in the name of Jesus. And so if you're a mother and you're a father or you're maybe a, a poet, you could be a politician, you could be a banker, a baker, you could be a teacher, you could be a, a, a technician, you could be, you know, you name it. You are, you, you are in full-time ministry. Right where you are, God has called you to serve. And when Jesus called Peter, Peter was a fisherman. Didn't send him to seminary. And I just think, guys, I'm just going to be honest with you, I think it's time that we uproot this unholy division between the clergy and what we call the laity. It's time for us to just eradicate that lie. That ministry then is really for the clergy. 
And that the lay people are there just to receive and you come and you sit and you sing and then you go home and you watch the expert minister and the minister's prayers and the minister brings in new members and the, the minister reaches the community and we just say, hey, great job, minister, great job, pastor. I'm here to tell you, my brothers and sisters, that when God anointed Jesus, that anointed fell upon us. God anoints the minister with the Holy Spirit. And we need, we need spiritual power that is greater than ourselves. And I'm just going to say it again. The same spirit that anointed Jesus is the same spirit that is filling the church throughout all time. Spirit of God gives you power to do ministry. Trying to do the Lord's work. And I know I'm, I fall into that trap. Trying to do the Lord's work in my strength. It's the most debilitating, it is the most confusing, it is the most exhausting, it is the most tedious kind of work to do, to do it in your own strength. But when you're filled with the Spirit, come on now, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then the ministry of Jesus, it begins to flow. It begins to flow out of you. And so what I want you to do is, first of all, to say, I am an anointed minister. And say, Lord, would you anoint me again? I can't do this without you. Here's the second truth I want you to embrace. The second truth I want you to embrace is that I am sent. I'm a minister and I'm sent. Ministers know that they're sent by Jesus. Just as God sent the Son and the Son sent the Spirit and the Spirit sends us to continue the work of Jesus. Because when Jesus died and was raised from the dead and went back to the Father, he said there's still more work to do and the work isn't finished, guys. You say, well, where, where is God sending me? Here's the good news. He's not asking you to jump on a ship, to jump on a plane. He may, but he's not asking most of us. He's, all he's saying is go back to where you work. I'm sending you back to where you work. I'm sending you back to your neighbor across the street. I'm sending you back to your family. I'm sending you back to your coworkers. I'm sending you back to that stranger on the train. If you just open your eyes, you're going to see a lot of things broken you're going to see a lot of things that need to be touched, that need to be healed. And God is saying, I've sent my church. As I read the Bible, I have never, ever seen instances where God wants somebody to know who Jesus is and God sends an angel. Every time God, the angel might come to you and say, hey, by the way, I have a message for you. God wants you to go do that. God sends people. Here's the a, here's a third thing I want you to be able to embrace is that I'm engaged. Now, let me be clear. I'm not talking about this kind of engagement with the ring. I'm talking about being hands-on. Every follower of Jesus is engaged, hands-on. Again, just, just indulge me. We're going to go to the communion table here in a minute. Just indulge me. If you would just open your Bibles up again, if you don't have it open, and just look at Isaiah 61 again. I want you to look at these six infinitives. Because this really gets us to the point of what it means to be engaged. Jesus knew what it was like. Just open your Bibles again to Isaiah 61, would you? And just look at verses 1 through 3 again. Jesus, or the, the, the prophet Isaiah said, The Lord has anointed me and sent me to do what? And here, here's the first infinitive. To bring. See the verb? To bring good news to the oppressed. Second one. Lord has anointed me to bind up the brokenhearted. That's engagement. The Lord has anointed me to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners. 
The Lord has anointed me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's interesting, when, when Jesus was in the synagogue, he stopped at this verse. People ask me, why didn't Jesus do the rest of the verse as we read in Isaiah 61, and the vengeance of our Lord? Because it wasn't Jesus' time, yet the vengeance of our God is really the second coming of Christ. Jesus says, I'm here in this season to declare jubilee to declare the Lord's favor. But a time will come when he will come again and he will come with 10,000s of angels to bring ultimate order to the world. I'm anointed to provide for those who mourn in Zion. I'm anointed, this is the sixth one, to give them a garland instead of ashes, oil of gladness. You know, why do people wear ashes, guys, back in this day? They were in mourning. There's nothing to be happy about, so much death and ruin around them. But when the anointed one comes, they're going to remove the ashes and put the oil of gladness, the oil of joy on that person's life. There'll be no more mourning. Instead, there'll be a mantle of praise for a spirit that is ready to fall. Why be hands-on in ministry? Well, first of all, I think our name demands it. We're Christians. That's what we are. We're little Christs in the world. Can you imagine Jesus going to the synagogue? week after week and just sitting in the synagogue and listening to the Torah being read and, and singing the, 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 the songs of the Psalms and, and, and all that's done in the synagogue and then just going home week after week. Can you imagine Jesus doing that? And the answer is no. He would never do anything like that because he was called as an anointed minister sent to engage with the brokenness and the sickness and the demonic activity that was in the world. The second reason, the second reason why we know we're called to be engaged is because God says in Isaiah 61 and verse 8, and if you still have your Bibles open, you could just look down at verse 8. It says, and we should pay attention to these words, guys, where the Lord says, I love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing and injustice. And every time God deals with injustice and, and wrongdoing, God is changing the order through his prophets and his ministers, through people like you and through people like me. Here's, a, here's the last truth. I want you to be able to confess is that I am an agent of transformation. So I'm an anointed minister. I'm sent by Almighty God to engage with what's happening around me so that God can use me to fix and transform what's broken. It's really what it's all about. I want you to embrace that truth. I finished reading up a book by a, a, a pastor and, and church planter by the name of Ed Stetzer. Ed Stetzer right now is the interim pastor downtown at Moody Church. He and a guy by the name of Daniel M. wrote a book called Planting Missional Churches. And I want you to see the quote. I want you to see what he says. This is something we need to pay attention to. He says that the church must redevelop a missional foundation. We must move churches beyond a common sea. You can just feel the, the, the disengagement oozing from churches where people just come and see. We must move the church from a common sea mentality to more of a go and be as well as a go and tell one. And I think this is the idea behind this whole fall series, guys, is that yes, we want to celebrate the fact that we're rooted in Christ, but we also want to then in the power of Christ 
go out into the world and engage with what's going on for the transformation of the world that's going on around us. And that's why I want you to look at one of the big goals that we have set our sights on. Imagine this, guys, that by January 2022, we want to see this goal of raising up these assets, 100 First Pres assets. People who are filled with the Holy Spirit, people who know that they're sent through a process of training and development and discipleship so that these people will be leaders and mentors and volunteers, not just serving in the church. And if that's all we're doing, then I just want to hit the pause button on that. If, if this is all about just raising up people so that there are more people in our church busy doing stuff, then that's really sad. But rather, we want to raise up 100 people who are anointed, ready to minister, know that they're sent, and are out in the world where God has placed them and seeking to fix what is broken. Seeking to fix what is broken. Look at this picture. That's uh, a picture I took on the wall in, my, in, my, in our kitchen. My, and I don't even remember when and how we got this gift. But we put it on the kitchen wall to remind us that we are assets. Notice what it says. It comes from Micah 6.8. And I'll read the whole quote for you. He has told you, O man, O woman, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do or to act justly or justice and to love kindness or mercy and to walk humbly with God? Now, that is the profile of how an, a person who knows that they're an asset, that's how they live they have nothing to boast about. They know that they live and breathe because of God, and so they walk humbly with God. It's not about them. They know God in an intimate way. They're attentive to what God desires, what God loves. And people like that are not disengaged. I'm telling you, when you are alive in the Lord, you love mercy. You love justice. You want to see things right. You're not disengaged. You're not, you're not sleeping. You're awake. Now, again, just look at that, that picture on the screen because it talks about love, act justly, love mercy. And some people think those two phrases are, are, are different, but in fact, they're not. This is why when you, when you look in the Bible, look at those two words for mercy and for justice. Everywhere you read those two words in the Bible, several classes of people come up over and over again. And I want you to try it. I want you to test it out. You could get a concordance, look up the word mercy, look up the word justice. Every time those two words appear together or when they appear in Scripture, especially when it's describing the heart of God or what God calls us to do, every time you see those two words come up, mispat or hesed, justice and mercy, it describes taking up the care of these four classes of what I call vulnerable people, and I'll show you on the next screen what those four classes of vulnerable people are. I call them the quartet of the vulnerable. You could go to Zechariah chapter 7 and verse 10. You could go through many of the, the prophets, and these are the classes of people that Almighty God cares for. It's the widows, it's the orphans, it's the immigrants, it's the poor. We could add a lot of people to that list. The refugees, people who are being trafficked, 
people who are being mistreated because of their race. God says, I hate that. You know, the, one, the, the amazing thing about injustice is that injustice is never done to the people who live in the richest zip codes in America. The injustice, it's done to the people who are the poorest and the weakest, and you know why? Who's going to believe them? I remember years ago, there was a police officer right here in the city of Chicago who was cruising around at night. And you know what this police officer was doing? He saw a woman walking by herself. And you see a woman walking at night. Some people say, oh yeah, that woman is a prostitute. Not always. That woman could be walking to the bus stop, coming from work, going to work. And this police officer would stop these women and he would sexually assault them. And he was doing it over and over and over again. And nobody would believe these women because they were poor and this one woman that he assaulted had her cell phone and she turned it on and caught the dude. And then they started paying attention. But before that, who listens to the poor? Who listens to immigrants? Who listens to orphans? Who listens to widows? Who listens to people who are, who are, who are disenfranchised? The courted of the vulnerable. And God says, I hate injustice. And when God looks at the church... When God sent Jesus into the world, he sent Jesus into the world to undo the works of the devil through his work on the cross, but it didn't stop there. He's still looking to his church, guys. He's still looking to you and to me. And I want you this morning to begin to embrace this. I am an asset. A few weeks ago when I preached, we gave out mustard seeds to everyone. And I hope you have one of those. You know why we gave those seeds out? We wanted to remind people that you are called to plant your seed in the ground for the kingdom of God. Whatever God's calling you to do, whether, no matter how small it is, to do that. And if you didn't get one and you would like to have one of those cards, we have them right out here at the front. Just pick one up to remind you that you aren't an asset. Aren't you glad tomorrow is Monday? Amen. I heard one yes. Aren't you glad tomorrow is Monday? Aren't you glad you have the rest of the week? You know why we should be glad? Because tomorrow spells another opportunity to be an asset to somebody this week. I'm an anointed minister sent by Almighty God to engage with the problems of the world and maybe somehow through the Spirit of God to see those broken situations transformed. And so listen, guys, you don't need another class. Can you just hear me on this? You don't need another class. You have already been anointed. You've been sent. You have God's permission. There's no more need to sit around and talk about the problems of the world. Talk about what's wrong in my family. Talk about what's wrong in our streets. The question now is, how is God? How is God sending me? It's time to act. It's time to do it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God's assets say...